This podcast is proudly brought to you by Sky Racing and Inglis, number one in its field. Brett Preble has won a Melbourne Cup and almost 50 Group 1 races around the world. But it's unlikely he's ever been more excited than he was when he got Legend of Condor over the line in the Flemington Fling on the first Tuesday in November. Winning a race on Melbourne Cup Day is thrill enough, but for Brett, it was a statement that he's back. He's been back in Melbourne only a short time after 15 very successful seasons in Hong Kong. He finished runner-up to Douglas White on six occasions in the Hong Kong Premiership and in one of them, Douglas beat him by just one win. Brett is one of a handful of jockeys to have ridden more than 800 winners in Hong Kong and when he left to go there, he was one of Melbourne's best jockeys. He returns as a seasoned professional with a very impressive CV. Brett is online to talk to me on the podcast. Brett, thanks for your time. Melbourne racing has changed a lot in the time you've been away. Some of the jockeys you rode against have long retired. Yeah, very much so, uh, John. It's uh, it's changed extremely. It's uh, you know it's very dominant. It's very top end. And uh, it's very hard to um, for someone like myself who's coming back after such a long time to um, sort of break into this scene. I read somewhere during the week that you haven't fully decided where you're going. Sydney is still some hope by the sounds of it. Yeah, I've never, never based myself in Sydney, and I, 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 I do enjoy living in Sydney, or a lot, a lot so being in Sydney, I should say. I've never lived there, so... So being there, I, I travel up there a fair bit. Um, I've obviously got very good friends with um, some, some, some people in, that live in Sydney, and I've got uh, I've got a very good um, uh, associate that who's um, he's quite 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 strong in racing in Sunstud. So mm. um, he's a very good mate of mine. Been been friends for years, and uh, he's a good supporter. And obviously, as legend of Condor, um, his win on Cup Day was for him, and so. It was quite meaningful to um, to come back and, 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 and my first win on the back was for a very good friend. Yeah. You looked pretty happy when you went over the line. I think you were more animated than you were after the Melbourne Cup on Green Moon. Uh, Melbourne Cup, I was stunned, Tappy. So uh, I, was, uh, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was quite mute and I didn't say anything and I didn't do anything. And, uh, you know, obviously I, I was quite mindful of the Cup day. It was funny, you know, I... I knew a long way out I was going to win, so mm. a lot of emotions were going through my head before I got to the finishing line, which not often you, you ride like that in a race and mm. um, you have so much time to think about it, and I, I actually did on that race, in that race, I should say, and mm. I was very uh, very mindful not to, to, to make a mug of myself, I must say. Yeah, I understand. You're a Ballarat boy, and your dad, Dick, was a jockey. And I think yes. it was it was Dad who helped you gain an apprenticeship, wasn't it? He was very keen to get you into a stable. Yeah, I was I was mad in racing. I was mad. Sorry, I was mad to ride horses when I was a kid. Not so much about racing, but I just I just loved riding horses and and just loved the thrill of it, the whole thing. But um, obviously, my father he he seen some 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 uh, something in me as a young kid, and he was really. Uh, it's quite aggressive in, in, in getting me in, a, in the right position and the right person to be apprenticed with. And, um, you know, he, he, he sort of 
spent a fair bit of time on it and uh, yeah, a few, a few different choices along the way who I was actually going to go with mm. and uh, end up being obviously Terry O'Sullivan and, and, and thank God and thank Dad that uh, he picked the right one and he, that, he was a fantastic master and, and, and a great uh, tutor. You rode your first winner for Terry O'Sullivan at a little place called Eden Hope, not far from the South Australian border, on a mare called Wait For Me. And, Brett, that was on the 6th of March, 1993. I hate to tell you. <laughs> yeah, I already I feel my age now. I'm just going to pick up my son. He's 16 years of age. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's uh, how time flies. You know, it felt like yesterday he was born. So, mm. uh, you know, obviously we've got to um, uh, appreciate the uh, the time the time we have. You know, it just goes too quick. But by your own admission, you were an angry sort of a kid, not always pleasant to be around. Yeah, no, I was a bit like that, John. To be honest, yeah. What did yeah, you do was, about it? How did you manage it? Uh, I. You know, I was, yeah, obviously I'm from a uh, broken family, so I was, I don't know, just my upbringing was probably um, different than, than, than the normal family and, and uh, I, I didn't handle it probably well and there's no rules how you should handle it, obviously, as a young no. kid. So, you know, it was, um, yeah, yeah, I was just, I was tarnished with that a little bit for, for, for quite some time in my life, but... Um, yeah, you know, I think I've grown and I've been a, I'm a better person for it now. And, uh, you know, I've, I've got, got, got past it and um, learnt from it. Brett, you outrode your country claim very quickly, as you'd expect. And even Terry O'Sullivan conceded that you really needed to be with a city stable. And you were lucky enough to link up with John Marr at Epsom. And John at the time was training winners everywhere. Yeah, John was a he was a great master. He was a he's a great tutor, a great great maker of people. Actually, he's he's, he's made many many trainers and many uh, jockeys. So mm. and he was fantastic for me. And uh, um, yeah, still this day we we speak quite often. And um, you know, I, I you know I, I treat him pretty much like my father. You know, he's um that 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 sort of mentor to me. Mm. Ma gave you an amazing opportunity in April 1995. You were just 17 years old and he put you on a horse called Darcher in the Sydney Cup. You'd won the Duke of Norfolk stakes on him at Flemington, but I don't think you expected for one moment to retain the ride in a Group 1. No, I was very fortunate. I was only 17 at the time, so... Um, I was pretty lucky to uh, for John to support me and, and keep and keep keep the ride on on him, you know. And um, you know, at the time there was um, I was there a bit of publicity in the papers and so forth that uh, you know putting a seventeen year old kid on a yeah, thirty two hundred meter race in uh, mm-hmm. Sydney Cup. So anyway, it was a good story. We ended up winning it, and, and uh, you know, just my my career sort of blossomed from there on. Really. Yeah. Do you know that horse never won another race, Brett? Darcher? No, he was very well trained. He was a pretty ordinary horse, and he won two two thirty two hundred meters uh, races and uh, Sydney mm. Cup. And bless his heart, he did for me. But mm. he's um, he would have made some some girl a, a, a very nice uh, pony or a hack. 
Yeah. Uh, he, was, he was quite slow, but uh, John Maher trained him uh, amazingly and uh, got the best out of him in a couple of races over those long distances. You got to ride some really nice horses over the next few years, and one of them was De Gaulle Lane, trained by Colin Alderson. At your very first ride on the horse, you won the Queensland Derby by a big space. Yeah, he's a good horse, real good horse. He, I think he, after that race, he bowed his tendon, so... He, um, he's, he's, yeah, he never obviously showed his full potential. You speak very highly of Zer Poor, Brett, an entire who was trained by David Hall. You won a Werribee Cup on the horse. You won a Queen Elizabeth Stakes. You were narrowly beaten in a Sandown Classic by Aerosmith. I think you might have bunged in a protest that day too. Yeah, I think <laughs> Yeah, correct. I did, but... Uh... I'm not sure if I was successful or not. I can't remember, but uh, no, unsuccessful. Yeah, yeah. Never mind. Uh, oh, you always got to throw, 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 throw your hat in the ring. <laughs> Another John Maher horse you liked a lot was Perfect Bound. He was good for you early in your career. You won four city races on him, including the Group Two Grand Prix at Eagle Farm. Same races, um, uh, De Gaulle Lane. Actually, he. he the horses he beat was um, Jugular, mm. I think. Uh, Gay Woodhouse trained it, mm. um, uh, and and two other horses were really good horses. They ended up, I think, they placed in the or won the Cox Plate and so forth. Mm. Like they, they, they were serious horses. Yeah. yeah. We'll just pause for a break, Brett, on the podcast. Back with you in just a moment, talking to Brett Preble. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field. Brett, a filly called Far Rain in the late 1990s uh, was another one who was very good to you. You won uh, a couple of Metro three-year-olds in the spring. Then you won the Group 1 Challenger by three lengths and the Group 2 the Emirates by two lengths. She had a lot of ability, Far Rain. She was she an was amazing filly. Um, big, strong, looked like a, a colt. Mm. Had two left legs, though. That was her problem. Mm. Um, she was a cripple. Um, yeah, David Hall trained it amazingly, and he, he ran it twice in a week because he knew that uh, she wasn't going to be around uh, forever. You know, mm. he had a sound and had her very comfortable and, 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 and run her both on those big days. And, yeah, we were very, obviously quite successful in those two days, those mm. two races, you know. She was, uh, yeah, she was, she was pretty, pretty special last at the time. She was... She's explosive, yeah. on pace, tough, and, and, and you know, and, and only young, you know, only very young. Mm, her record could have been much, much greater had she remained sound. <laughs> Correct, yeah, for sure, 100%, exactly. Brett, one day you'll be able to tell your grandchildren that you rode Maccabi Diva. Only once, 7th of October 2002, you won a Phillies and Mares race at Flemington on protest. Yeah, we didn't even really win on her. But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, it was too short, obviously. At the time, she was only young, so she was quite weak. And but when 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 I was come to pass a horse in the straight, it took a carter, carter all the way out to the outside rail, and I couldn't get by. 
Mm. And she fought uh, tooth and nail, but we got up alongside it and just got beaten probably a short half head or something like that in the apprentice and, mm. and we uh, we turned it, yeah. You got to ride Lovely Jubbly a few times. You won the Doombin Champagne Stakes, the Sires Produce Stakes. You won the TJ Smith. And I think you won a listed race on a later in Melbourne when Brian Mayfield Smith took over her training. Yeah, he did. He, 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 she was she was a good filly, very good filly, but absolutely crazy. Couldn't hold her. She was a real mad, mad going thing. Mm. We, were, we won a couple couple uh, group ones on her, I think I might have done. Mm. But, um, yeah, she was, she was obviously <laughs> the best of her was later to come was uh, – Chautauqua. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, he's obviously, uh, he had some quirks too, obviously, didn't he? <laughs> mm, yeah, out of lovely jubbly. I think people forget that. Yeah, now, exactly. Now, Brett, another good horse you got to ride five times, in fact, was Testa Rossa. You won the Ian McEwen. You won the uh, Group 1 Eat Well Cup at Caulfield. I think you rode him in a Cox Plate too, didn't you? Yeah, I think I ran third on him in the Cox Plate. He didn't stay. He, he, he was... Pretty much, he was probably best at a trip of fourteen hundred metres. But he, uh, he, he obviously was such a determined, determined horse and re- really tough. He, he, you could stretch him out a little bit, but really, he's, he's probably a sprint a mile and max. But um, they stretch him out to Cox Plate. You know, he, he ran, he ran a terrific race, but he, mm. as I said, he didn't stay. And he, you know, took a good soul. Brett, did you apply to ride in Hong Kong? Yeah, they at the start they they actually uh, they they chased me to go, mm. and um, I spoke at length with John Maher about it, and he said I was too young to go, and he didn't believe I should have gone. But um, I was actually uh, chipping away here in Melbourne. I was going quite good, but I, I, I wasn't enjoying it actually. I was winning the premiership, and mm. you know I won the Scobie Beasley medals, and 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 I wasn't uh, I wasn't sort of getting any real satisfaction with it. I must admit. And uh, that time, uh, I spoke to Marie, my wife, and uh, she 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 was really quite keen for me to go and try. So we we, we sort of packed up at the time. We had um, Thomas; he was quite young. He was only about three months old. Mm-hmm. Went over there, and uh, we I did like a, a three month stint. It was uh, it was pretty much uh, the hardest time of my riding career, I must say. It was, uh, uh, I couldn't get a winner. It was really, really quite tough. Went three months with three wins, which, when you, obviously coming coming from a time I was riding uh, probably three winners every second day. So yeah. it was, uh, yeah, it, it was frustrating, and it, I couldn't work it out. You know, it was um, it was a place that uh, everyone seemed to want to be there, and I got there, and then I thought, well, maybe I don't want to be here. Yeah, you know? yeah. I actually my second last ride. On that three-month stint, I rode a Group One winner, and then they they asked me to come back for a full season. Mm. And then my next meeting, I had a fall and 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 and, and crushed my um, AC joint in my shoulder and had to have an operation on it and had to have a break. So I sort of delayed going back for about six or oh, twelve months. I think I, was, I think I mm. delayed it for twelve months, and uh, I went and rode for the Freedmans for twelve months and had great success for them and. Then reapplied and and then I, and then I went back with um, with my family and stayed for fifteen years. Yeah, 
going to get 12 for murder, Daddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brett, you were unlucky in a way to strike Douglas White in red-hot form for such a long period of time. Uh, you ran second to him in six premierships. It must have been frustrating in one way. What were his strong points as a jockey? He had a good tactical brain, didn't he? Yeah, in a race, he was a great tactical rider. Not not so much uh, in the sense of um, um, aggression. He was more uh, about smoothness and an uninterrupted run for him. You know, yeah. he's... He always, he always, Hong Kong's different than most places. It's, it's a rating um, handicap situation. So horses drop in points every time if they're running. If they're running bad, they keep dropping in the points. So mm. they'll get down to uh, a rating where they're, they're just too good for the horses they're running against. So they'll just win. So he was very good at getting on those horses where the rating was getting to a place where the horse was pretty much unbeatable at the time. And they just won, so he'd give them a beautiful run. They'd be un- uninterrupted, and uh, they'd, they'd just win because obviously their ability was better than the horses they're racing against because yeah. of the system that they're they're in. Mm. So he'd be a good bloke to follow in a race, any race. Yeah, well, for me, it's a little. I was I was always um, uh, frustrated following him because he he actually probably waited a bit longer than I would. So. Mm. I was, I'd always had my foot on an accelerator and he was not going, so mm. I'd be nudging him nearly to get, get going. So to me, I was, um, I was, I, I wasn't favourable following him, to be honest, I must say, but mm. saying that, he won more times than I did, so he was doing it right. Brett, you rode three horses overseas, which are arguably the best you've ever been on. One of them was called Sacred Kingdom. He won 17 races in all, 45 million Hong Kong dollars. I'm not sure what that equates to in Australian. It must be around 8 million, I think. Um, You won seven races on Sacred Kingdom, five group ones. He was an exciting horse, wasn't he? Yeah, and I got him when he was broken down and not at his best, John. So you imagine how good he was before I got him. So Mm. he was an amazing horse. He's turned a foot. You could come from last 100 metres off of him and pick him up in uh, 50 metres. He was quite a, quite extraordinary horse. And uh, when I got him, his he, he sprints didn't last as long and they died quickly. So I really, I used to have to really time him right. Otherwise, he'd give me that burst and then it would die out quite quite quickly and, and um, he'd struggle. But, but uh, I got him, I got him right as you, as you said seven times. So yeah, it's, it's pretty pretty good horse to me. You loved a horse called Bullish Luck. Trained by Tony Cruz, he won 12 races. You won Group 1 races on him. Uh, he was a great miler. And uh, would he have been a, a Doncaster type? Could he have won a race like the Doncaster in Sydney just to illustrate the sort of ability he had at the mile? Yeah, I think he'd, he'd, probably, he'd probably even win the cop's plate. That's how good he was, obviously. Not, not wings bloody hanging around, but... Mm, no. <laughs> He, any other years, yeah, he, he'd be a Cox Plate. He, he, I think he ran, actually ran second in the 2500 metre international. So, mm. like, he, he could stretch out to a trip. wasn't wasn't too as effective as uh, he was over a mile. A mile was his was his forte. He could, he could spot him a big margin, pick him up, and and just put him away whenever he liked. Uh, 
amazing horse. Good. He reminded me very much. I never. I don't think I was riding at the time. Superimposed. That he is that sort yeah. of horse. You was know. He? Yeah. What about Lucky Nine, Brett? You won a stack of races on him, quite a number of Group 1s. Uh, you went to Singapore once and won the international sprint on him there in 2013. He was a sprinter, uh, but he had problems, didn't he? He was uh, he had to be very carefully trained and carefully managed. Yeah, I actually went, I won twice on him in Singapore and the third time I got bowled over and ran third and should have won. So mm. that, that was, um, that was a, a bit of pill to sw- swallow at the time. Uh, he was a bad bleeder. They couldn't train him and stretch him out. To he's really a miler, but they had to get Casper. He, he trained him. He did a marvelous, marvelous job. He had to train him very lightly and keep him uh, always on the fresh side to, to, to sprint him. Otherwise, if he stretched him out, he'd um, he'd bleed. So he, he, what he did with him was um, pretty pretty special training performance for a long time. Yeah, was he trained right through by Casper Founds? Yeah, obviously he was bored as a tried horse. He was, he was raced and come to Hong Kong as a PP, so he would have been sold, you know, for substantial amount of money. And and uh, yeah, so he was already yeah tried, tried and proven, but not to a level. Yeah, he would have been uh, maybe Flemington Saturday winner mm. when he was sold that level, you know. And then when obviously when he got to Hong Kong, he went. Uh, you know, he could have won the Newmarket Handicap or whatever you like. He, he, whatever you're training for, he could have possibly won. You know, he could have won a Doncaster if he wasn't a bleeder, you know. Yes, yeah, sure. that's, that's, yeah, a serious horse, uh, John. That, those horses we're talking about, there, there's, you know, you, don't, you, you can't find them in the backyard every day, that's for sure. No, no. Now, jockeys in Hong Kong, Brett, I know you had admiration for a handful of them. Joey Marrera. Uh, is uh, has freakish ability. He's renowned all over the world, and you had great admiration for him. Yeah, very, um, very different sort of uh, jockey. He's obviously very Ameri- Amer- American style. Uh, watch him as many times you like, and you say, "What does he do different?" It's pretty out the pick. There's, I don't think there's. You can't really pinpoint what, what he does uh, different and special. You know, he doesn't hit him any harder, he doesn't ride him any better uh, tac- tactician during a race. Actually, he's not that, that good at being a tactician. He's not really good uh, in that style, but I, I'm, I'm a big believer. I spoke to John Maher at depth about it, and I think his, his aerodynamics are way sits on a horse. They're not carrying his full body weight. Uh-huh. You know, they, they, they win by Big margins, like like they're not carrying his weight, you know. I think mm. it's yeah. No, no one, I think, no one in the world would be able to explain to you why Joe Moore is so good. And I, I, I think that's my my, my opinion is, is yeah. pretty logical. I think if you look at a, a horse that he wins on, I've rode him and he comes out and wins by five on him next time, and I didn't do anything different. Mm. Um, you know, as I say, he's not that much better, but. He's a beautiful jockey, don't get me wrong. No. Horses don't go, uh, their ratings just don't go through the roof like like that when when other people ride them. No, no. So the theory is that he somehow just gets his weight off them. They're not carrying his full body weight. Somehow, I believe that. They're they're obviously feeling, yeah, 
the way he sits on, the, mm. it's not as heavy for him. You know, like I like the horse. Horse come out of the barriers, no jockey. They're twenty lengths last. Mm. Sit 30, 30, 30, 30, 30 horses wide, round the whole field up, and win by fifty. Well, that's only because he's got no weight on his back. Not yeah, because yeah. you know, there's no other reason. Mm. So, um, for me, I think it's it's there's something in it. I believe. Brett, in 2012, you answered an SOS from Lloyd Williams to ride Green Moon in the Melbourne Cup. Big weekend, you'd won a treble at Chartin on the Sunday night. You flew to Melbourne on the Monday. You won the Cup on Tuesday with a copybook ride. Gee, you might have got a bit of a squeeze early in the race, but after that, you had a magic run. Yeah, pity I didn't listen to that SOS two years earlier. I was a bit of a sudden bust. I was trying to win the premiership in Hong Kong, and uh, <laughs> I refused to come down and ride uh, efficient. So he, he won that pretty much a similar preparation, which which is normally Lloyd's uh, program. Went through the Cox Plate, performed poorly, and I thought, you know, he's not going good enough. You know, Green Moon, similar circumstances, watched his race, thought, mm. Pretty, pretty ordinary run, but you know, watch it again. I thought, well, I think it was probably pretty ordinary ride. So then I thought, well, I'll give it the benefit of the doubt, and uh, I come down, and obviously the story's uh, it's a nice story, nice ending. Yeah, puts you into the history books. Now you say you could have ridden efficient. He wasn't the only other Melbourne Cup winner you could have been on with an ounce of luck. Yeah, you don't have to rub that in, Tappy. There's a few <laughs> others. He's got about four friends with him. <laughs> yeah, there were a few, weren't there? Brew was one. Yeah, yeah Brew, shocking. Got a ride, uh, Dundunnel, whatever you call it. And uh, yeah, so, yeah, that's what it is. You know, I've got one now, and yeah, we've, we've all got a lot wrong and a lot right in life, so yeah. you can't dwell on it. At Red Cadeau, I think, uh, not that he won, but he did run three placings in it. I think you could have ridden him one year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could have rode him out of the year, and he, de- he nearly dead hated that year. Um, obviously, I'm friends with Ronnie O'Cully, which used to be the chairman of the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Mm. And uh, at the time, if I, if I remember my words correctly, I think Lloyd said to me, Brady, you should be pulling the cart to the races. That's how slow he thought he was. So I didn't ride him, and I rode his horse. So anyway, <laughs> that's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you made another very special trip in 2010 to ride a filly in the Golden Slipper by the name of Crystal Lily. Her owner, David Moody, paid a $150,000 late entry fee to get her into the race. She must have had a leg on that opposition, Brett, to do the things wrong that she did over the last 200 metres and still win is quite amazing. Yeah, I'll give him a good push to, uh, to spend that money. He's, uh, yeah. he, doesn't yeah. like, he doesn't like forking it out normally either. So yeah. uh, it would have been a bit of feel for him if it didn't win. But she, I won on her at Caulfield. I think it was like a um, uh, maybe like a, just a normal two-yard race. I forget what race it was at the time. But she she just really won well, channeled him. And then she went to Sydney and she had a lead-up race, sort of, sort of like going to Sydney, Sydney Golden Slipper. Damien Oliver won on her, won really well. Yeah. And uh, I pressed David. And I have very good friends with David. And we had a good association for many years with him. He lots of winners. So he was uh, he, he was very keen for me to write, write her as well. So ended up uh, a good story other than I got suspended and um, probably cost me winning the premiership in Hong Kong because I had a lengthy, lengthy mm. uh, suspension on her. 
Yeah. Did she hang out in the middle stages of the race, Brett? I mean, if you watch the replay now, she really doesn't look as though she starts to hang until she straightens for home. Yeah, it's quite funny, actually. She never sort of showed any uh, tendencies to hang, but she was a bit of a mad going thing, pulling and, and always strong, strong, strong-headed, but not, not so much hanging in any sense. But when she did, you know, I knew she was uh, – I, I, I couldn't – I couldn't really stop her unless, you know, I slowed her down and I mm. thought, well, that was not going to happen if I was going to win the slipper, so I had to give one a bit of a you know, haircut on the way past. But, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah she, she, was, uh, she was pretty adamant she wanted to go left. For some years now, you've been slowly building a business which has always been your objective for a life after racing. The business is called Persuader, I think you've got something like seven staff members at the moment and you supply everything a jockey needs. But you started off exclusively with whips, jockeys' whips. Yeah, I did. Uh, basically, at the time when we started off, uh, I, um, I thought there was a really big position in the uh, racing industry for a new whip because there's only one whip. Peter Bacos made it and he's quite old and I think he was uh, he might have even just passed passed away and, and left his business to his sons at the time and they made pretty much a standard uh, pretty much a black or a white whip and um, I was I was always pretty passionate about racing gear and and, and so forth so I thought I'd, I'd uh, come up with a whip that was pretty much like the American whip but to our specs and our, our standards we got certain diff- we had a different flap in, um, at the end of it than the American racing that they allowed. They have a closed flap. We had an open flap. So mm. Really, it's actually not much different. But at the time, that was the legal requirement. So we, we, I just sort of um, modified it and um, come up with our own style. And yeah, well, I think well, we, I've made over uh, forty-five thousand whips now. So you know, mm. some fair few amount there. Yeah, and it's gone on from there, Brett. And in fact, there'd be nothing now in the way of jockeys' requirements that you can't supply. You're making saddles, you're making boots, you name it. Yeah, we make everything. I've got a business partner, Mark Burke, and um, you know he's uh, very passionate. He's actually he's overseas at the moment and um, looking for new uh, products and so forth. So we're expanding every day, and we're looking to um, to grow our business to a too, too much bigger than what it is today, you know. My son Thomas, he comes and he works for us, and uh, Georgia and so forth. So they love it. They really get in there and get their hands dirty. And you've got about seven employees all up, Brett. Yeah, we have oh, come and go, you know. Obviously, yeah. It's, but we've got um, we've got five to the uh, you know stable and uh, the Ben with us for a long time. I actually had um, Wayne Johnson, which was uh, Johnny. Uh, Jimmy Johnson's son, he worked for us for 11 years mm-hmm. um, as our head sort of uh, saddler. So uh, he's, he's just left us and um, got, gone on to our, uh, other things now. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was fantastic. He taught us a lot. And, uh, uh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a big asset to us. Well, you're a very fit bloke at 41. And that ride on Legend of Condor the other day illustrated that you're as good as ever. So I can't see uh, much hope of you becoming a full-time managing director of Persuader for a while yet. Yeah, I'm not going to hang the boots up just yet until they, uh, until they retire me, Tabby. So uh, it's pretty much uh, the Australian style now. They, uh, 
they retire to jockeys and they retire themselves. So uh, until that happens, uh, I'll be keeping boots polished. Very lucky to get you on the podcast this morning. This is a Sunday morning as we record because you went to a Melbourne Cup victory party last night hosted by Karen McAvoy. Yeah, Karen's my brother-in-law. He's uh, he's getting a bit of a habit now. <laughs> yeah. More so than uh, it's just uh, it's quite a, quite extraordinary. It's three Melbourne Cups. You have to pinch yeah. yourself, wouldn't you? Um, you know, there's uh, it's, it's quite a fair few uh, cups in the family. Michelle and uh, Karen and myself. So um, it's yeah, pretty special. And. Good reason to celebrate. Brett, I know you've had commitments this morning. You've been in a car uh, for most of our interview. It's great of you to find the time to talk to me. Great to catch up. Keep up the good work. And there's a possibility we might see you in Sydney. Not locked in uh, in concrete yet, but it could happen. Absolute pleasure, Tappy, and uh, it's a very possibility. Good on you, Brett. Thanks for your time. Pleasure. For over 150 years, Inglis has led the way in the field of thoroughbred auctions. In 2018, Inglis again sold the most yearlings at the highest average. Last season, Inglis was number one for Group 1 wins and the only auction house to sell a Group 1 winning two-year-old. They sold four, in fact. I'm proud to align myself with Inglis, number one in its field.